Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Wednesday, May the 1st. This week we're discussing a new Lancet commission entitled The Legal Determinants of Health, Harnessing the Power of Law for Global Health and Sustainable Development. Let's hear from our guests. I'm Larry Gostin. I'm the O'Neill Chair in Global Health Law at Georgetown University and Director of the World Health Organization Collaborating Center on uh, Public Health Law. Um, And I happen to be co-chairing this Lancet Commission on Global Health and the Law. Hi, I'm Luisa Cabal. I'm the Special Advisor for Gender and Human Rights at UNAIDS. Thank you both for joining the podcast. I think what strikes me as someone who's been at the Lancet quite a long time, and I've covered a lot of global health topics, issues, stories, written about them, done podcasts on them. I cannot recall a time that we've actually discussed the legal framework for which health and health systems have to fit, have to exist in. So what is the aim of this commission concerning law, global health and sustainable development? Yeah, you know, I once had you know, a very senior uh, person from the World Health Organization ask me the question, what does law have to do with public and global health? My answer was everything. The aim is really to show how a single doctor can save one or more patients, but the law can save millions of lives by uh, creating environments uh, which are healthier and safer. And so if you think of almost all of our major achievements in public health, you know, ranging from vaccinations all the way um, through to tobacco control, the law was a central part of all of them. The aim, really, is to try to demonstrate to a wide global health audience of a, uh, a Lancet audience why law is a tool and why we need to take that tool off the shelf. So why do you think law is so poorly understood in global health? Why the lack of awareness? It it seems curious at the very least. It is curious. And when uh, Richard Horton, the editor of The Lancet, and I uh, first began to speak about this commission, uh, Richard was making the obvious point that um, the fields of law and public health and global health and ethics really don't communicate with one another. And one of one of his really great goals was so that we spoke the same language and we both understood the enormous value that law can play um, for uh, global public health. Uh, And the reason we really haven't seen much more regulation in many years is because industry has really tried to thwart any effective uh, regulation. Uh, Think about the tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, or even the food industry. And so it's really critical for us to try to push this legal agenda very, very strongly because it can save many thousands of lives. Luisa, can you explain how law can can help advance global health within the context of the sustainable development agenda? Yes, thank you. Well, the the SDGs really articulated a vision of development through 17 goals. Health being grouped in in SDG 3, it's about ensuring healthy lives and promoting well-being at all ages. So the SDGs, unlike the MDGs, calls upon us to address 
and break the silos that existed in the MDGs and not to address health in isolation and tells us about the interconnections and the interdependence of the different goals and that just one sector going alone won't make progress of any, on any of the goals if not working across sectors. So, for example, SDG 3, our health goal, cannot be achieved if we don't tackle, among others, gender inequalities, which is SDG 5, food security, goal 2, access to water and sanitation, SDG 3. And this is where the law, for the first time, comes in a very powerful way in the development agenda through SDGs 10 and 16, which are really around ensuring that we tackle inequalities. It's about the law and rule of law and good governance. So it's telling us that we need that enabling environment for inclusion, for peaceful societies, to be able to achieve goals three as well. And this is where I think this, this commission report can comes at an important time to really boost what Larry has been saying, that laws are then critical and central tools for achieving you know, the SDGs as a whole, but, and this is what the report is about, as a special and a specific mechanism and tool by which the vision also around SDG 3 can be realized. Thank you for providing that linkage with many of the SDGs. Larry, just touching on something you, you were just beginning to, to discuss, you mentioned tobacco. I'm assuming that's an, an example of where, in many countries, law has played a very powerful positive effect within global health. Yes, Richard. Tobacco is really the, the paradigm for uh, uh, how law can be effective. In this case, we have both global law, um, a WHO treaty, and also national law. So um, the World Health Organization adopted uh, a treaty called the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, um, which guided states to try to develop really strong tobacco control laws. And many of them have um, things like vastly higher taxes, graphic health warnings, plain packaging, uh, of tobacco, um, bans on marketing uh, of cigarettes, bans on smoking in public places. All of these laws really transformed uh, a culture around tobacco. And in states that have actually adopted the framework conventions guidelines, we've seen dramatic drops uh, in smoking. And the same could happen with alcohol, the same could happen uh, with unhealthy foods like sugary beverages. The law really has such a powerful impact if we use it right and if we gather the evidence to, to make sure that it's effective. Conversely, of course, there's nothing worse than bad law. And Louisa, do we have um, some examples of where bad laws have actually impeded the progress of sustainable development and global health? Yes, I think that unfortunately, in the same way that the law can be used for ensuring good outcomes and protecting health-related rights, unfortunately, we also see examples. And, and one critical one that we highlight in the report is the overuse or the misuse of criminal laws in the name of tackling, in many instances, public health problems. And it, has, it, it especially affects 
certain populations and usually the most marginalized, such as, for example, people living with HIV or at risk of acquiring HIV, people who use drugs, other key populations in the context of HIV, or certain services, such as reproductive health services. In such cases, even at times with a public health objective, laws can institutionalize inequality and marginalization and, and further discriminate already marginalized groups. And unfortunately, we also see that very often criminal laws are enacted to promote in not so much a public health objective, but a moral norm um, and to, to punish uh, certain populations. Just to give you an, some examples that we cite in the report, you know, international commissions have called for decriminalization of HIV, non-disclosure exposure or transmission, or to reform drug policy laws. Um, so we give these examples and we document how they don't serve a public health purpose and they end up violating rights and further marginalizing certain populations. I'm interested in, in teasing out a bit more what the report uh, means when it says that it's important to develop strategic linkage between the law to global health development. Perhaps you could just elaborate on what we mean here. The report is very specific around how law doesn't just stay in the area of the abstract, right, but that it can actually very concretely help us translate the development agenda into concrete actions. So it's around how we uh, come from that aspiration of the 17 goals, one being squarely around health, into health can provide us translate and provide the detail, the how, and the accountability that is required. And so, for example, it tells us that one of the functions of law is around setting the norms and the standards of health, right? And some of the examples uh, Larry has given that come from all the way from recognizing right to health in a constitution to laws all the way to regulatory frameworks. It can also help structure or mediate risk factors, again, relations in the areas of food, of housing. So I think it, it, it really allows us to link sort of the development framework into how can actually we translate and law being that tool that can help us translate that vision into concrete action. Thank you. That's really important, I think, because going back to one of the first things Larry said was people not getting, understanding why law has a place within global health and sustainable development. If law can be seen to be providing the glue that makes things happen rather than something abstract that lawyers talk about, then people start to take notice. That's at the heart of one of the messages of this commission. And Larry, if I can come to you now, because at the heart of your commission report are these four legal determinants of health, which are very clearly linked to, the, to, to sustainable development. Can, you just, can we just summarize these? briefly, because the details, of course, are in the Commission, but it's it's really at the heart of what the Commission report is about, isn't it? Yes, it is. What we do is we use the term uh, legal determinant of health because in public and global health, uh, we all understand the idea of a social determinant in health. It's been a very powerful factor in, in how we think about health, that, that we have to go upstream and, and think about well, what are the social and economic drivers of health. We've borrowed from that term to use legal determinant to show how law can be one of those fundamental drivers of health. Our legal determinants include law uh, translating 
a vision into action on sustainable development. And there we focus mostly on universal health coverage um, because we believe very strongly that a good legal framework um, for universal health coverage can be transformational and vital. It can ensure uh, universal access, uh, can make services more affordable, um, it can go to quality and can go to key drivers of equity and fairness as well. We have a case study on universal health coverage under legal determinant one. We also have a legal determinant that says that law can strengthen governance of uh, national and global institutions. Very often people don't think of institutions as part of health or part of law, but if apart from the Ministry of Health. But the truth is, is that um, we do need robust, well-governed institutions, uh, ranging from uh, the World Health Organization uh, to UNICEF, uh, through to the uh, World Trade Organization at the international level, and of course, Luisa's wonderful institution, UNAIDS. We also need them at the national and local level. Not only we need well-functioning, well-governed ministries, education, health, welfare, city planning, um, and, and the like, um, and they all need to be well-governed. We believe very strongly, as Louisa has said, that good governance is extremely important. Things like uh, transparency, uh, monitoring, um, accountability, um, non-corruption. All of these things are crucial, including um, civil society engagement and inclusive participation in governance decisions, uh, particularly among the most marginalized. The main legal determinant, I think, is that law can implement fair evidence-based interventions. And we use uh, examples of powerful legal interventions to achieve the public good on infectious diseases, things, think for example vaccinations, and the current measles uh, outbreaks around the world. Think of non-communicable diseases, uh, obesity, cancer, with their risk factors of tobacco, alcohol, uh, sedentary lifestyle, and uh, diet, of course. And then think of injuries um, like um, workplace injuries or, or traffic injuries. Law can have an enormous impact. And if I may, Richard, I wanted to just say that here we want to have, you know, a virtuous quality loop so that we want to have good laws based upon evidence. We want to evaluate those laws empirically to see whether they work, whether they work. And then we want to reform those laws uh, to make them better and more effective or to take them off the books, as Louisa says, if they are punitive uh, and uh, counterproductive. And that way we can get a, a quality improvement loop. That's very um, elegantly summarized, Larry. How, do you, how would you do that, though? How would you actually regulate the laws? How would you evaluate the laws? Who would do that? The Commission calls for developing legal capacities. It's such an important question you've asked, Richard, because we take it for granted that if you have a new pharmaceutical or a new vaccine, you will study it, um, you'll monitor it, and you'll evaluate it. 
Is it doing harm? Is it doing good? How can we make it better? What's the dosage? All of those things. Why wouldn't we want to do that with laws? So if we have a law that says raises taxes on sugary beverages, wouldn't we want to know whether that law reduced consumption of sugary beverages? What we could do more um, to improve the health of people in the population. And so we need to use the best empirical tools to evaluate the impact of laws in the real world, in real life, on the ground. Do they improve health? Do they reduce inequalities in health? These are really important factors, and we need rigorous evidence and the best science to guide legal development. And the fourth legal determinant of health is building legal capacity for health. It's very, very important um, that uh, governments should build these capacities the same way that they build health system capacities. And so we want to train legislators. Uh, we want to train judges. We want to train lawyers um, to understand public health, uh, utilize it, make sure that law reflects the best evidence and that we continually monitor it. Um, so creating good laws requires a skilled, trained legal workforce in health, the same way that we would expect a health worker to be trained and have that capacity. Louisa, there are some very clear key messages coming out of the report. Would you be kind enough just to, to walk us through these? Because I think it's a great way of encapsulating the key points. Someone was asking me to describe two key objectives and that excite me about this report. And for me, it's if, if we have achieved to convince people and to spread the word that, you know, we need to create a movement that believes that what are the requirements of law to improve health with justice and excite people around this idea of law with, with, that improving, improved health with justice would be great. And if we can also create a movement of collaboration between health and legal practitioners, I think that that would also be fantastic. I think that very concretely, some of the messages are around some of the points we've touched upon. How are we going to translate using the law as a critical tool to translate the SDG vision, the development vision, into concrete actions? And in our case, again, very concretely, we give an example of uh, creating, for example, a legal framework to ensure rights-based universal health coverage. We also talk about how is it that the law can be used, as Larry mentioned, to strengthen governance of national and global health institutions, and what are the legal frameworks and the good governance standards to do that. One that I'm particularly passionate about is around how to use the law to implement fair, evidence-based health interventions, and the very concrete actionable points around how can countries develop their own mechanisms to advise on legal interventions with health impact. How legislation, any legislation that is passed, is required to pass health impact assessments so that we're really looking at what are the impacts of those uh, draft bills being proposed. So those are I think some of the three core messages that I would take away. Thank you very much, Louisa. And Larry, final word from you. You're having your launch in Washington, D.C., Wednesday, May the 1st. 
I know that awful lot of work goes into creating these Lancet commissions. But of course, I think the point we're making is this is just the kind of end of the beginning, isn't it? Because publication and the launch of the report, however tired you and your co-authors are with all the work you've done on it, and the Lancet editors too, I should think, actually, the work starts now. It really does. As with all Lancet reports, the words on the paper really don't matter. They're there to inspire. They're there to inform. What really matters is to translate our messages into action at the national and the local level. And so we need to begin to work with countries, with ministers of health, with uh, heads of government, with legislators, and really demonstrate the case for legal reform. It really is so important. We could save millions of lives with well-crafted laws. Uh, we could reduce stigma with anti-discrimination laws and taking harmful criminalization off the books. We could lower the equity gap uh, in the world. Law can be transformational, but we need to actually make it happen. And one of the things Richard and Horton and I have been talking about, and is one of the key recommendations, is a follow-up standing Lancet Commission uh, with the O'Neill Institute at Georgetown University to try to make our legislative dream a reality. Here, here to that. And good luck with the launch and, and all your work. But in the meantime, Louisa and Larry, thank you very much for discussing the latest Lancet Commission. Thank you for your time and good luck with all your future work. Thank you very thank much. You. We really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to share with all of you. And as Larry said, this is just uh, the beginning of more collaboration and of carrying uh, the vision of the report forward.